Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 25 of the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, and thanks for listening. So today is a big day, the kickoff for season three, and we're also celebrating one year of podcasting. I can hardly believe it. And we have thousands and thousands of episode downloads, so I really want to say thank you. Thanks for joining me for our lively conversations, prescriptions, and advice for life. I hope that these special Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast stories have inspired you and helped to widen the path for leadership, exploring opportunities, pursuing your passion, and taking risks. Well, now, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Michelle Williams, and I'm smiling as I'm sitting here. Michelle and I are going to be discussing many things, including her leadership experiences and research areas of interest. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Michelle, and then also let her tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. Michelle Williams is Assistant Professor of Management and Entrepreneurship for the University of Iowa Tippy College of Business. She recently was named the first DEI Faculty Fellow, a new position created to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion among Tippy College's staff and faculty. I look forward to learning more about that one. It's so important right now. Michelle's research focuses on negotiation, leadership, sense-making, and trust, as well as women in leadership. She's a mentor and advises emerging leaders on entrepreneurship and innovation. There's so much good stuff for us to talk about today. Well, as we get started, Michelle, thanks for being here with me today. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and maybe a brief overview of your career experiences. Thank you for having me, Melissa. I love this podcast, and I'm so excited to be here as a guest. I grew up in New York, about an hour north of the city. So it was a very small town. My father worked for IBM. So I really grew up with technology from the get-go. I probably had one of the earliest laptops of any, any one of my friends. So I really enjoyed being in a more rural area. I would go into New York City often to see Broadway shows. That was one of the things that I loved the most and also worked on crew in, in, in the theater. So I loved uh, designing the sets, being a sound person. Those were some of the things that I really enjoyed as well as writing. I think the way I came to kind of this whole career and everything that I do now started when I was at Johns Hopkins University as an undergrad. I sat in on medical teams through an internship and so I, as a psychology major, I was thinking, oh, this is great. I'll be able to see how team processes work. And as I sat there, I had never seen so much conflict in my life. There were doctors with codified knowledge. There were nurses who knew how the patient, you know, was reacting to the medication on a moment by moment basis. There were social workers who knew how the patient's family could handle their illness at home, um, as well as a host of other medical uh, care professionals. And that was the first time that I realized that even when every single person in the room had the same goal for the patient to get better, 
there could be a lot of conflict over the best path to get there. And after I graduated and started working on a interdisciplinary team at Newark Children's Hospital, I really start to kind of understand how important it is for professionals to be able to find trust and have collaborative, productive relationships across these disciplinary differences. And that's really what brought me to study trust and collaboration and innovation as I do today. That is so interesting. You kind of had the best of both worlds growing up that you were close to the big city, but you lived in a more rural area. And, you know, I think the interaction with Broadway and the theater and the arts can be just magical. You know, especially I think about some of my trips when I was younger, going to New York City and just experiencing Broadway and Radio City and all of that. That's really cool. And then I love how through your time at John Hopkins that you had an expectation or a thought that something was going to be a certain way, but then when you actually had the experience, it was different and that that's been foundational to your career moving forward. So, you know, we'll dive deeper into this as the podcast goes on, but thanks for sharing that to get us started. Well, we're recording in winter and Boy, it's been a winter so far, sitting here with lots of snow, and I think there's more coming in the next few days. So, you know, we have a few more months of winter going, and we're going to have some cold and probably dark days. What kind of practices are you doing now to kind of help you get through this season? What does that look like for you? Well, that's a great question, Melissa, because I think sometimes when people are in leadership roles and have a vision and trying to move things forward, they forget to take care of themselves. So I've really been trying to be more mindful about my self-care. I started and I put post this on social media also. So in January, I dedicated to, you know, really starting a journaling practice. When the pandemic started and lockdown started in 2020, or the March of 2020, I really found that I always had had a paper planner, but I started inserting extra pages and really using it as an opportunity to put down ideas and also to journal. So that's one of the things that during this winter and during 2021, I'm going to continue. In February on Twitter, I'm going to be posting about mindfulness. So we're going to start with breath and just a way to be mindful of the things in nature and things in our lives so we can bring more joy. And March will probably be gratitude. We'll see. Wow. I love those. And I love that you're being purposeful about it because I agree with you. I think sometimes, you know, we have so much other things going on that especially in 2020, it allowed us the opportunity to pause. And I had journaled a lot when I was traveling so much, especially when I lived in DC and I would, you know, take a journal with me and write on planes or, you know, when I was in different hotel rooms and stuff like that. But several years ago, I started journaling daily in the morning and kind of doing some gratitude practices. And a lot of people talk about it. And I know you'll, you'll experience this, especially if you focus in on it in March that, you know, what you appreciate appreciates and it can really grow. So That's a really cool thing. And I look forward to following in February, your mindfulness. I've gotten into that and in the past year have used Headspace as an app, which has kind of been fun to track my progress with that. But I don't know, I think anything that helps us be present or just kind of be thoughtful about some of these things is a good thing. So yes, thank you for sharing those. I think those are really neat. One of the things that I've often talked to my guests about is, you know, during these turbulent times or times of a lot of change, looking to the past or history often provides us insights for hope or direction in the present and to the future. So is there a historical figure or a mentor in your career that's made a difference in your life? 
Yeah, so I have a, a mentor at the University of Michigan, Jane Dudden, who really started out in strategy and was foundational in the move to psychology was as foundational in the positive organizational scholarship movement. So really, instead of focusing on things that were, were negative and needed to be fixed, focusing on people's strengths and the ways in which compassion and positive emotions can actually help employees thrive in their organization. So that's really foundational in the way that I look at the world. And when I study trust and look at how people can build trust, I, I also look at the interaction of trust with positive emotions, such as compassion and how those help people rebuild trust through betrayal, especially in such divisive times. Um, employees can often feel conflict and torn when they're coming from different perspectives about the events that are going on in the world. And I'm, I'm really dedicated to using some of those positive organizational scholarship principles to help them rebuild the trust that may have been lost almost through no fault of their own, but through what's going on in the world around them. And a second person who has really been inspiring to me in kind of how to approach the world is Jean Baker Miller. And she's a psychoanalyst who back in the 1970s looked at psychoanalysts and realized that it was coming from a very male perspective. And she wrote a book called Short Psychology of Women that really looked at women as people who grew in connection instead of children having to grow up and separate from their parents, that children could actually grow up in connection. And the strength of that connection made a difference for people to look at each other as co-learners. So they would fluidly move back and forth between being the teacher and the learner, kind of in a pure mentorship mode. And that connection was something that allowed you to develop and become a competent adult. And in today's world of adulting, we can see how connection is really important. Wow. I love those examples you gave. And, you know, I think especially if you look at all the change we've experienced in 2020 and then already in 2021, compassion is a big one. I think self-compassion is another one. You know, I followed some of the work of Kristen Neff and sometimes it's easier, I think, to be compassionate to others than to be, to cut yourself a break and give yourself some grace. So that's a big thing. And, and boy, connection, we've had to think about relationships and connection in different ways. You know, we may be meeting with someone over Zoom or Teams or live stream or whatever versus being together in the coffee shop or gathering for some of the rituals that are so important in life. So thank you for sharing those. I think there's a lot of good lessons and I'm sure you've felt that in the past year. Yes, I've been drawing on those lessons very strongly as I go forth and not only the loneliness that has been plaguing a lot of people during this pandemic, but also in looking at racial justice and more inclusion and that connection of people across things that they might at, you know, at first consider differences is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Like how do you open the tent and what does that look like? We've talked about that on a couple episodes. So yeah, we can, we can dive into that a little deeper here today too. So you touched on as we started and then these last couple minutes about healthcare and you know, healthcare has experienced so much disruption, but also innovation this past year, which is really cool with telehealth and access and just looking at things in different ways. So your research on trust has included collaboration and 
you know, I think it's interesting that as we're moving in an innovative way, there's more multidisciplinary teams. And, you know, we're seeing that through the COVID response with trying to get people together to figure out on the vaccine, how we should deploy it and what that looks like and things like that. We know that physicians and nurses and social workers and pharmacists are working together, as you described. So what kind of lessons have you learned or things that you've seen through the pandemic? Let's talk a little bit about that. I think one of the things that really has come to light during the pandemic is the ability to see things in a different way. So I talk about this from Carl Weick's work on sense-making. This pandemic has really shocked people. So a lot of things have happened that no one could have anticipated that they didn't think about. And as soon as they get, you feel like you get a handle on what's going on, a new development happens. And so sense-making is the idea of taking disparate pieces of information and creating a map of how the world is and how we can move forward. And the great thing about sense-making is it opens us up to inviting different people in. And I think that's one thing that the pandemic has taught us, that we can't, from, from one disciplinary perspective, create solutions or improve what's going on. And so bringing pharmacists and physicians and healthcare workers and social workers and public health officials together to say, what is this information? What is this data showing us? And how do we move forward? I think has been what is one of the most exciting things about how we might move forward and lead and work together when the pandemic is under control. So do you think some of those lessons are going to continue, like kind of post-pandemic? I believe so. And I think it's it's kind of based on, it's our all of our responsibilities, right? Yeah. It's to not simply work together because there's a crisis, but as we get to know people and understand these different disciplines, we understand the interconnectedness and understanding um, Jody Hoffer-Cattell um, from Brandeis calls this relational coordination. As we better understand how these connections and how these relationships further healthcare, we hope that they continue and that the leaders of our healthcare organizations see the benefit of this and continue to support it. One of the things I work on with the College of Nursing around innovation is the role of leadership in that. And the idea that if we want to have these interdisciplinary teams, healthcare workers have to be given release time to work on this. They have to be able to get grants that now that we can see how effective it is, you know, we have to call on leadership to continue to support that. I like that. Yeah, because th these kind of things aren't going to just happen. I mean, some things happened organically or they sprouted up because, you know, it was a way that had to get done. But I think to take it to the next level, you're right. Having focused time to work on it is, is really important. That was, that was a really good observation. So as we jumped in, I wanted to just reflect a little bit how you and I got to know each other. And I think it's, you know, kind of a common theme that I've had throughout the Melissa Arc Scripps podcast about relationships and connections. And I attended, I've served as a mentor um, at the University of Iowa with the Tippie College of Business. And I attended their Women in Leadership Summit. And you were one of the speakers. And I remember sitting there 
you, you talked about negotiation, which is such an important topic. I think we even did a workshop during that session. And I was so jazzed kind of after about how I could take that back into you know my work life and then thought, hey, we need to have this in pharmacy. So I approached the College of Pharmacy and the, I'm chair of the planning committee for the Zeta Cooper Leadership Symposium and you know then invited you to join us on that. And now you're part of the planning committee. And I guess you know why I wanted to bring that up today is to share with people is, I mean, you and I didn't know each other. We just kind of you know saw each other and then connected and we've collaborated now on several things. I find that pretty amazing because I can't imagine not know, not having known you. <laughs> I know, isn't that funny? And But I guess you know part of the reason why I wanted to share that story is and we've talked about this a couple other times that if sometimes if you have in your gut, like, oh, I should reach out to that person or, you know, especially now during the pandemic, connecting with someone on LinkedIn, or if you're, if you attend a, a virtual session and then you want to follow up, my sense is people are very open to taking a call, doing a Zoom, doing whatever, because it's kind of what we had to do in 2020, because we're not necessarily jumping on a plane and going to a conference. Do you have thoughts on that? I think you're exactly right. And I think that's one of the reasons that the new social media site Clubhouse is just taking off. Clubhouse is almost like a Facebook group, but for audio. So people log in, they don't have to do their hair or the makeup, and they talk about pressing issues. So I've seen people on Clubhouse talking about diversity to talking about leadership, to talking about women and mental health. So it's, it's amazing that people are coming together and connecting in that way. And we're also seeing it reflected in how social media is changing. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Clubhouse. I hadn't heard of that. Well, you know, I talked in the intro that your research focuses on women in leadership. And one of the things that I recently did, I attended ASHP's virtual mid-year meeting, and there was a session on career and life integration, and there were bite-sized tips on that. You know, I, I think for all of us, we're always looking for what else can I learn to either be more efficient, productive, all those kind of things. But I know you have some insights on this one. And I think your approach is a little bit different that I wanted to make sure we talked about today. That tell me more about starting with no, because it's so hard to do. I really love to talk about this topic. So I'm really glad that you brought it up. So I have been teaching negotiation for over 15 years to executives and MBA students and undergrads. And one of the things that I realize, and especially in terms of women leadership, is that people often say yes, almost automatically. When people ask a request, they just they sure, I'll help you out. And that's not always the best thing, right? It may be that other people need to learn planning. They're asking you at the last minute because they haven't learned how to schedule things in a way that doesn't lead to a last minute crisis. It may be that, yeah, you could step in and do it, but there's someone else in your organization who's not learning those skills or not making connections that would be beneficial for you if you could direct that project to them. And so I think women often think of no as a bad word and as something that's negative or selfish. So I try to talk about no mindset as each request has to be evaluated. And the reason I say start with no is if you say, that's a great idea, let's, let's discuss that on Zoom, let's, I'd like to hear more about that. It's a no, right? It's, it's not saying that I'm not gonna help you solve the, your problem. It's saying that I'm not necessarily the only person or the best person to solve it. And it's giving yourself the space to think about it. Does this task fit with your goals? Does it fit with your passions? Does it fit with your values? And if not, 
how can you help this person find a solution? How can you help them find something else? And if it does fit, you might still need to negotiate that, you know, negotiate that no. I call it the negotiator's no. So you might change okay. the time of it or the parameters or the time frame. Like I was asked to talk to a group, I think yesterday, and I said, you know, I could, I would love to do that over the summer when I'm done with teaching because then I'll have plenty of time to do it. And it was perfectly fine with that, right? They didn't take yeah. that as a no. But for me, it was a no, I can't do it right now, which is when you asked me, but I would be happy to do it in the summer. And so giving yourself the space, pausing before you answer and figuring out how and if a request fits into your life, I think is so important for women leaders. Yeah, I like that because that becomes like a better yes for you too. Yes. Because I think all of us sometimes have said yes when it's not the right time or it's difficult. And then it's like, we don't have the best taste in our mouth when we're actually doing the activity because, you know, you're working on the presentation when you're focused on other things. And, you know, I had an example where I had served on a board or a commission and had done a three-year, I was wrapping up my three-year term and they asked if I wanted to serve again, because you could potentially do two, but I felt like two things. And it's, it goes back to what you said. I kind of went through that in my head without even, you know, necessarily using your a framework, but it was, what am I going to gain or what are the costs related to this if I continue? And so I decided to pause and to say that it had been a great opportunity, but that I wanted someone else to have it. And then I gave suggestions of people that I thought would be a good fit where it would also be a good professional development opportunity for them. And it, like I said, it all worked out. And that was so much better than, you know, me continuing again, adding to something. And then it also gave me time freed up to pursue some things that were more aligned with what my goals were in 2021 and beyond. Exactly. And that's a great example of how when you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. And you have to say no to the good because that opportunity was good to be able to say yes to the great. Because when those other opportunities come along, you're going to already be booked. So either you say yes to both and you don't do a good job because you're overextended, or you have to pass up the perfect opportunity that aligns with your goals because you've already said yes to something that doesn't. I love that. Say no to the good so that you can say yes to the great. Well, we've touched on this a little bit, you know, when we've talked about 2021 and that, you know, it's already, it's already off to a busy start and, you know, there's continues to be a lot of change and, you know, I think still chaos. And you've talked about sense-making through there. And, you know, we do have positive things coming through with the COVID vaccines have been approved and they're getting distributed and things are going on like that. But talk to me more about the sense-making and, you know, some of your DEI efforts in having other people at the table, like what does that look like? And how could our listeners kind of incorporate that into their daily world, their daily practice? Thanks for mentioning that. I kind of think about whenever you see work on inclusion or bring people to the table, and that's really having people's voices get heard, they always say set inclusion intentions. And I think to myself, well, but what does that mean? That's so kind of fuzzy. It's hard to wrap my head around it. And so I see today lots of people in organizations have the intention to be inclusive. And what my work is around is like, how do we give teeth to that? What does that mean? And one thing it means is to change your mindset. And part of that change in your mindset is having a sense-making mindset to approach people with sense-making. When you really want to solve a problem, when you really want to make things different, you have to invite in so many different voices. 
So for instance, when pharmaceutical companies are trying to change what they're doing, they invite in clients and patients, right? To have that conversation so they can understand what's going on better. And so having a sense-making mindset is one way that you bring different voices to the table because you're trying to create a new map and have information that you haven't had before. Another way to change your mindset and make it more inclusive is to move to a growth mindset. And a growth mindset means that you don't write people off when there's a failure or a problem, but you believe that everyone can learn with the right mentorship and support and grow. And with that mindset, it allows you to continue collaborating with people through the good times and through the bad times. It allows you to approach those unmet expectations in a different way, as opposed to, okay, you're untrustworthy, I'm going to cut you out. You approach it as, wow, we had a miscommunication or something's, you know, or we need to look at this differently. How do we build this relationship in a way that works? Yeah, you know, I think we're seeing that kind of in real time right now with the vaccine rollout. My parents are in the category where they would be eligible for the vaccine. They live in Illinois. And I spent hours on the phone with my mom and, you know, she was doing this on herself, but trying to navigate where it's available, how they can get it, how they could get signed up. And, you know, I thought to myself, like what you just described is, and my mom is pretty good on the computer, but for populations that either don't have email, you know, cause I know then I saw someone else who's, there's been a lot of chatter of this on social media, people saying, hey, my mom doesn't even have an email. And so, you know, I think figuring out that there needs to be some telephone numbers. And so it's interesting that if these perspectives wouldn't have been talked about, you know, a solution which seemed to make sense, like, hey, let's just automate the whole thing. There are holes in that system, right? Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that people who work in rural healthcare were particularly concerned about. Yeah. Like, how do you make sure that that they have access? And, you know, I am encouraged this week here in Iowa, Governor Reynolds talked about pharmacists and their roles from, you know, accessible providers. And we've talked about that on several of the other episodes. And so I think, you know, once supply starts to increase, we hopefully will have greater. And a colleague that I knew talked about, she was part of a big vaccine fair yesterday in Virginia, you know, where they had I think they gave 550, you know, in, of vaccines in a certain amount of time. So you know, I think change is happening and we're trying to figure it out. But you're right. If we didn't have different perspectives around the table and, you know, probably even learning from like logistics providers, you know, about some of the lessons that they've learned of how you get certain things to different places. Definitely. And also looking to other countries, right? I think sometimes in the U.S. we think, oh, well, we know best, but other countries are also doing that. And to be able to take the best from everybody and put it together into our plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I could keep talking forever and we've had some wonderful conversations over the years. One of the things that I do on the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast that I ask each of my guests as we're, we're drawing to a close is I say, you know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others in the spirit of Melissa Rx Scripts? That's a great closing and great question, Melissa. I think that for me, all of my leadership opportunities have come because I've said yes to something that I wasn't even sure I could do yet. And so I think that women tend to wait till they have all their ducks in a row and everything in line before they say yes to an opportunity. And I think saying yes, when people say, you know, oh, can you teach this? Can you do this lecture? Can you take on this leadership position? Say yes. And if it aligns with your goals and your values, say yes, and then figure out how to do it. 
There's a great book that's called Who Not How. And it's about using your network and collaborating with people to get your goals met. So say yes, and then figure out who can support you and help you and you can work with to get those things done. I love that because I think it aligns a lot with um, some of the things that we're talking about is through all this change and all this disruption, innovation allows you to do different things. So I think a lot of us have had to say yes to stuff we were, I mean, probably when you guys went to more online learning, that was new and different. And there's been adjustments in podcast reporting and in like the way media has been distributed, like movies and stuff like that. So I, I think if people had been like, well, I've never done that or it's never been done, we'd be stuck. So yes, say yes. That is really, really good. Well, I just want to say thank you, Michelle, you know, for sharing your insights with me. And I'd love to have you back down the road because we could keep going on. You know, this is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and I want to thank our listeners. And I mentioned in the start that I was opening season three, and I want to dedicate this special episode in memory of my dear friend. I had a dear friend, Rhonda, who passed away recently after courageously fighting cancer. And, you know, several of the things that Michelle and I talked about today, I think were threads in Rhonda's life with compassion, faith, and commitment to making a difference in the world. So I honor her by talking about her today, and I'll share something in the show notes. And thanks so much for listening. And thanks, Michelle, for joining me today. Thank you, Melissa. This has been great.